And I feel <clears throat> the need to start tonight by telling you that I love you. Um, Karen and I love you. We love this work. We love doing what we do. Um, it's a great honor. It's a great privilege. It is a great joy. It is the best way I could imagine spending my life is preaching to a bunch of ragtag internationals <laughs> who love Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, forget the ragtag part. Some God lovers and word doers. And uh, we love you. And uh, so thank you for allowing us to be here and doing this work. Last week, um, we, you may remember we quoted John Piper and we asserted that his statement was biblically correct. The statement is that human life is all about God. And we amplified that statement just a little bit for clarity's sake. Uh, remember, I, I told you that it's wise for us <clears throat> to be crystal clear when we're in the public arena that we should never speak about a generic God, that we need to be sure to call God by name. Our God is Jesus Christ. So we don't want to be guilty of, of speaking generically uh, out in the world. We need to name His name. There are millions of so-called gods in the world. We need to name His name. His name is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 I say it to you a lot. It comes out in my preaching never in my notes, but it comes out. It's actually in my notes tonight. For we were, somebody want to tell me? We were created by Him and for Him. It's all about Christ. So it begs the question, doesn't it? If human life is all about Jesus, then why is He largely absent in the modern culture? I'm going to say that again. If human life is all about Jesus Christ, why is He absent in the modern culture? The deity of Jesus Christ is for the most part utterly ignored. Do you agree? The fact that He is mankind's Creator and our only hope for redemption is by and large wholly disregarded in the culture at large. If human life is truly all about Jesus Christ, and it is, if He is our Creator and only Redeemer, and He is, why is He not the headline every day in every newspaper in every city around the world? Why would He not be the headline every day? Jesus Christ, Creator, Redeemer, run to Him! Why is it not, like, why is it not that way? Why does He not dominate the television, the radio, the media at large, and the internet. Why does He not dominate it? If He really is the Creator God and Redeemer God, why would He not dominate these things? Why is He not the principal course of study in every great university? It should be the first requirement for any degree. Jesus Christ! Why does human government not build their policies around Him and His words? Why doesn't everyone in the whole world worship and adore and treasure Jesus Christ? Well, we know why, don't we? 
Because as it relates to God, humanity prefers the lie over the truth. This is what God's Word tells us. It doesn't really matter how inane, absurd, or ludicrous the lie is. Men will believe it. They will believe it. See Tom Cruise in Scientology. Men can believe the most... They would rather believe a lie than believe the truth of God. Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, told Adam and Eve that God really wasn't good, that in fact He was holding out on them. Satan told them that their lives should not be constrained by God and His commandments, and that their life would be fuller, richer, and more meaningful and fun without God. This was his message. He hasn't changed his lie. He only had to have one lie. He's still saying the same thing. And men are still believing it. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says, And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's why Jesus Christ is wholly absent in the culture, in the modern culture that we live in. Of course, sometimes we hear patronizing nonsense about Jesus Christ. We hear that, well, He was a good teacher. Uh, he was a good man. He was a prophet. We hear these kinds of things. But you know why you hear those things about Jesus Christ in the culture at large? Because they're a lie. A half-truth is always a whole lie. Yes, He was a good man. Yes, He was a great teacher. Yes, He was a prophet. But Jesus says, I am God. Before Abraham was, I am. Beloved, He's God. C.S. Lewis says, He's God or He's a lunatic. There's no place in the middle with Jesus Christ. And the world hates that. The world hates that. We were studying men's Bible study this last week and I quoted John MacArthur. John MacArthur says it uh, as vividly as C.S. Lewis. You know, Jesus is either the Christ or He is the Antichrist. He claimed to be God. If Jesus Christ is God and He is, He will not be patronized. We're studying in the young adult Bible study, we're studying uh, Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love. And I was struck last week. We, we saw Francis Chan said it beautifully. He said, God will not... Tell me, Josh. He will not be tolerated. He will be worshipped. And He will be praised. And He will be honored. But He will not be tolerated. He will not. It is His cosmos. It is His universe. He will not be tolerated. As we've been saying for the last several weeks, Jesus is not only God, He is an awesome God. He is the reigning, supreme, sovereign God of the cosmos. He is the God of Psalm 99, 1-3. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. I know I keep saying it, but I'm just in awe of who He is. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. That's our God. You say, well, you must have some kind of pathetic God you meet in a garage. <laughs> it's the wisdom of God. 
He befuddles the wisdom of the world. He has His people humbly meet in a redeemed garage. This is His way. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he, he's not trying to impress anybody. He doesn't have to impress anyone. Right? We talked about it last week. He's the warrior God of Exodus 15. He consumes His enemies. And He delivers His people. He is the merciful God of Isaiah 45. He redeems His people in the most stunningly heroic way. He is the fearless, sacrificial God of John 10. The beautiful shepherd God who of His own initiative lays His life down for His sheep. We've been in 1 Peter now for some weeks. If We did have a break over the holidays. And I, just to remind you, Peter is writing to a a group of suffering Christians. They're undergoing a fierce persecution. And Peter just keeps reminding them how awesome their God is and how marvelous their redemption is. Beloved, you can walk through anything if you just look at Christ. You know, you can walk through anything if you, as we sang just now, understanding that he's, we are spoken for, we are His. He has set His heart on us and He loves us supremely. All you got to do is read the Scriptures. You can see how He loves His people. Last week, just by way of review in 1 Peter, we saw who we are. We are a chosen race. We are an elect kind of people, God says. It's not about our outward resemblance. It's about our... Anybody remember? It's about our inward resemblance. God has removed our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. We are a royal priesthood, verse 9. A priest that not only serves the king, the king's people in the king's church, but will rule with the king in the king's new heaven and the king's new earth. That's who we are, beloved. We are a holy nation, literally. A set-apart multitude. Set apart for discipleship. Set apart to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to obey Him, to make much of Him in the world. That's what we're set apart for. To live a Hebrews 11 kind of life, we are a people for God's own possession. Verse 9 tells us, a peculiar people. Yes, an odd people. Don't you know you're odd? When you go out in the world, or when you listen to the media, uh, don't, can't you feel it? This is not my place. This is not my place. They don't make much of my God! They don't make much of Jesus. This is not my place. This is not my place. Last week also we saw why we are. You may remember, I made much of it. I said it maybe 12 times, I think. I counted it <laughs> on the tape. That we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Our lives are to be a proclamation. They're to be a publication. They're to be an advertisement that Jesus Christ is God. And nobody else is. That's what your life is about, beloved. Are you confused? Say, Jim, I don't know God's will for my life. I said this last week. That's God's will for your life. Proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you do it, proclaim the excellencies of this awesome Creator, Redeemer God. Then in 1 Peter 11-20, I'm obviously not going to make it that far tonight, 
But the Holy Spirit tells us what 1 Peter 2.9 is supposed to look like in the life. So the Holy Spirit reveals how a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation people are supposed to live in the world. Tonight, again, we will only cover verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you that as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Peter reminds us again that as a result of all that God has done in us, we are... Someone tell me, what does the text say? We are aliens. This is not my home. I am not here to stay. I am here to leave. I am not here to stay. I am here to leave. It's how he started the book. Chapter 1, verse 1. Aliens. We were aliens, he says. It's how he started the book. It's, we talked about it in our first sermon in this series, so I will not fully develop it again, but just by way of review, the Greek word translated alien here, it means to be a pilgrim, a stranger, a foreigner, a refugee, a sojourner, and an exile. Do you understand that's who you are in the world? Or are you getting comfortable here? <laughs> I remember one time a guy told me he went to Eastern Europe and he was, uh, he was over there preaching some, you know, and he stayed with a guy, and the guy had nothing. You know, the guy had nothing. Nothing. And the preacher asked him about it. He said, you know, he was, he, his, sermon, his sermon series was, was, was on being a pilgrim, you know, understanding we're passing through. And this guy had nothing. And the preacher, Jim, asked him about it. He said, man, he, said, he goes, I'm a pilgrim. I mean, I'm not saying... You know, we all have to live that way, but I'm saying he understood. He's not here. He's not here to stay. He's not getting real comfortable. He's here to go. It's what every genuine Christian knows. Philippians 3.20 Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. It was the confession of the men and women of Hebrews 11. You may remember the great text, by their lives they confessed that they were strangers and exiles upon the earth. They desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Does that describe you, beloved? That's the born-again heart. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. You get that. It doesn't make you uncomfortable. You understand that. You desire to, to incarnate that. You want to live that. You want that to be the signature of your life. I am an alien. I belong to God. I do not belong to this world. John Piper says it like this, we must cultivate the mindset of exile so we don't drift with the world. I love that. We need to cultivate this mindset so we don't just drift with the modern culture. He goes on. So we don't assume that what's on TV and what's being advertised and what's being taught at the university is good for our soul. We don't assume that. In fact, we're critical about that. We, we, we test the spirits and all the things that are taught to us and all the things that we hear and see. He goes on, we must always get our bearings from where? Where, do we, where are we supposed to get our bearings as Christians? From the Word of God. We get our bearings from the Word of God. He continues, 
We ponder what is good for the soul and honors God in everything from food and videos and swimming suits and birth control and driving speeds and financial savings and education and unreached peoples and sports and death, etc., etc., etc. Aliens get their cue from God, not the world. Beloved, is that your life? Are you getting your cue from God? Or is the world pulling you in? Are you being pulled in? Are you being seduced by this fallen world system. You may remember what God says about men and women who live earnestly and truly like an alien. Hebrews 11.16, God says, I am not ashamed to be their God. I love that, man. Man, that's what I want to be, right? God says, I am not ashamed to be their God. I concur with Piper. His general comments on these two verses, verses 11 and 12, he said these two verses contain the most important issues or problems in the fallen world. The first one is in verse 12. Uh, the glory of God. The second one is in verse 11. The human soul. To state it another way, in this world God is profaned and men are perishing. These are the two most prominent, urgent, desperate problems in the world. It's not global warming. It's not the financial crisis. There are real problems in the world, but the premier problems are God is profane in this world. And so many of us are quiet about it. And men are perishing. These are the two preeminent problems on the globe. As believers, we get that. We understand that. We know what the cosmos and everything in it is ultimately about, it is about the glory of Jesus Christ. And we know why God has left us on this planet. And that is to make disciples of all nations. As Christians, we think the way we think because we believe these two things to be true. We pray the way we pray because we believe these things are true. We give the way we give because these things are true. We love and serve the way we love and serve because these things are true. God is profaned and men are perishing. We witness the way we witness because we believe. God is profaned and men are perishing. We live the whole of our lives the way we do because we believe God is profaned and men are perishing. That's our job description. We talked quite a bit about it last week. We understand that these are the most important issues in the cosmos. The glory of God and the salvation of the human soul. It's 1 Peter 2.9 again. This is who we are. This is why we are. An alien stranger, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people seeking to bring glory to God. And I'll fine-tune that. Seeking to bring glory to Jesus Christ and sharing the Gospel with the lost. Christians have exchanged the lie for the truth. We've exchanged the lie for the truth. We don't believe the lie anymore. We believe the truth. We love the truth. We don't patronize Jesus Christ. We love Him. He is our God. 
He is our Savior. We don't patronize Him. We don't tolerate Him. We give ourselves away to Him. This is Christianity. <laughs> this is Christianity. As aliens, we really believe what the Bible teaches. Human life is all about Jesus. My life is all about Jesus. It's supposed to be. It's Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. You have to be an alien to believe that. You know? And you certainly have to be an alien to live that. To live as Christ, to die as gain. If I live, praise God, it's all about Jesus. If I die, praise God, I will be with Jesus. You say, well, Jim, that's pretty narrow-minded. Yes, it is. It is. It's godly-minded. It's godly-minded. The God-centered mindset graphically highlights the fact that we are aliens. We said it, I think, the last three weeks. Again, I'll say it again, John 17. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. The fallen world system couldn't care one bit about the glory of God. In fact, they blaspheme Him and curse Him and use His name as a swear word every day. Millions of times a day. God is profane. Beloved, we need to thank Him for His mercy and His forbearance and His long-suffering. I am always astonished that judgment has not fallen. I am always astonished at His forbearance. The world doesn't care one bit about the perishing soul of man. In fact, the world is trying to lure man away, further away from Christ Jesus. If the world actually cared about these things, the newspaper, the internet, the television, entertainment, government, business, and universities would look and sound profoundly different than they do. If the world truly cared about God's glory and man's soul, Jesus Christ would be every headline, every day, in every city. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is your Redeemer. Run to Him. That would be the headline every day. And we'd never get tired of reading it. Jesus Christ would dominate every aspect of the media and culture. It's true, isn't it? 1 John 2, 16-17 is true. I, it's a famous text. I know you know it. Let me just read it for you. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Is that not the world? Is that not our culture? This is not from the Father, John says, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So that brings me back to 1 Peter 2.11. As aliens and strangers, we are to... What is, what is the command there? We are to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. As Bible believers, we understand fleshly lust is lying to us. It lies to us. It tells us that it will satisfy us. It will satisfy our soul. It will satisfy our heart. It will make things right. It will make me feel um, complete. Fleshly lust is always telling us this. Fleshly lusts. It lies. It lies 
I know I've said this to you. It's one of my favorite quotes by, by a man who's not a Christian, but it's just absolutely true. Some of you know Oscar Wilde. He was a 19th century playwright and libertine. He said, there are two tragedies in life. I know you know what they are because I say it to you every once in a while. What are the two tragedies? The first is not getting what you want. The second is getting it. Because it does not satisfy. Only God satisfies. Only Jesus Christ satisfies. Fleshly lusts do not satisfy the soul of man. In fact, the text tells us they are waging war. They are waging war. The fleshly lusts wage war against the soul. What does this mean, fleshly lust? In short, it, it is the desire of your fallen human nature. We're not simply talking about illicit sexual sin. Of course, that's part of it. But it's much, much more. Galatians 5, 19-21 gives us some insight here. Let me just read it for you. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The fleshly lusts are all the it's all about me desires. That's what the fleshly lusts are. It's all about me. That's how you can know. <laughs> it's all about me. It's all about me. We say, I want it. I'll have it. I'll do this regardless of what God says or how it impacts anyone else in my life. I'm going to do this. I want this. I'll have this. It's all about me. You can always tell. You can see that if human life is truly all about God, how these it's all about me desires get in the way and how they will wage war against the soul. You guys know that great text, Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul talks about the war that rages within the Christian. Now the unbeliever doesn't know anything about this war. He's oblivious to the war. He's not in the war. He's a victim. He just lays there. But we know about this war. Paul says, Romans chapter 7, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Fallen human nature. He's talking about the war between our fallen human nature and our regenerate spiritual nature. It's a war every day. Is it not? It's a war every day. Every day you wake up, you want it to be about you. <laughs> it's a pathetic way to live. Some of you figured this out. It's an awful way to live. You ultimately end up really, really bored. Because you get to the end of yourself really, really fast. But when you're in relationship with an infinite God... <laughs> there are no limitations. There are no limitations with what He will do in your life and how He will use you in this fallen world. There are no limitations with God. Peter says, 
Your, it's all about you. Your desires wage war against your soul. He says, abstain. Abstain. Give yourselves to it. It's all about Jesus' desires. You say, Jim, I don't wake up and I don't want it. You know, I don't naturally think it should be all about Jesus. Well, get into the Word. Get on your knees. Pray. Lord, I want today to be all about you. Give it to Him. Do the transaction. Get up in the morning and give Him the day. Physically do it. I give you the day. Do it. It's, it doesn't come natural. Because, you know, our default mindset is, it's all about me. And I want it to be all about me. The Christian understands it's not. The Christian understands it's about someone infinitely more interesting and important than us. The Greek phrase translated wage war, it connotes a long-term military campaign. This is something we, we deal with every day. This is not a one-time skirmish. This goes on every day if you're a Christian. You get it. You understand that you are in this war every day you get up. The newspaper is warring against your soul. Television is warring against your soul. The news media is warring against your soul. The movies are warring against your soul. The theater is warring against your soul. The internet is warring against your soul. The classroom is warring against your soul. This is the world. This is the world. Our culture is at war with Jesus Christ and with His people. It's one of the hallmarks of understanding you're a Christian because you're in the war. You get the war, you understand it. And you're trying to do what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do here, to abstain. To abstain. Human life is about Jesus Christ. And we are to fight every day to bring our lives in line with who He is and what He said. That's the fight. So how do we fight this war? You guys know that great text. Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the full armor of God. I'm not going to go there. But just in summary, I tried to just, I tried to, I studied the passage this week and I was just trying to summarize it. We do it with God's Word. That's why we preach this. That's why this is all we do at ICM. This is all we do. We don't do anything else. We're not any good at anything else. I don't know how good we are at this, but this is what we do. This, we don't do anything else. We do this. How do, we, how do we win this war? How do we overcome in this war? By God's Word. By God's righteousness that He imparts to us. By God's peace that He gives us. By God's faithfulness that He shows us. By God's assurance, again, that He gives us. By God's Spirit that indwells us. Listen, beloved, if you don't know Hebrews 6, you go and study it. You'll find out how an alien overcomes <laughs> in the world. You say, Jim, I'm hopelessly outnumbered. Of course, but you and God are always a majority. Amen? You and God are a majority. In every circumstance you find yourself in, you and God are a majority. Always. God has given us all we need to not only survive as aliens in this world, but yes, I'm going to say it again. I know I'm stuck on it. You're going to say, Jim, find another verse to get stuck on. Man, I'm tired of hearing about it. Daniel 11.32 Yes, we're not just limping along in the world. 
Daniel 11.32, that we all, the, the, the people who do know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. That's what I'm calling you to, beloved, always. Be strong and do exploits in the world. Be strong and do exploits in the world. That's your job. Proclaiming the excellences of Him who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Now I want you to note this. Well, first, let me go back. Let's, let's read verse 12. I haven't read it yet, have I? Let me read it again. Keep your behavior excellent. Listen to what he says. Abstain from fleshly lust. Then he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Did you notice between 11 and 12, we move from desire to behavior. Did you notice? We move from desire to behavior. We move from what we feel to what we do. This is always the pattern. Sin, well, let me just read James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Many of you will know this text. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It begins in our desires. The war is won or lost in our desires. Right? It's won or lost there. So, it's important. It's important that we be in the Word our behavior will not be excellent as God commands unless the meditations of our heart are excellent. Our behavior will not be excellent as we are instructed to do here in verse 12. Our behavior will not be excellent unless the meditations of our heart are excellent. The psalmists were all over this. I just looked at Psalm 119. You guys will know this. I think you probably, you know, Psalm 119 is really about the Word of God essentially. And he says, I will meditate on your precepts, your statutes, your law, your wonders, your word. I will meditate on your majesty and on your wonderful works. David said, Let the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. That's Psalm 19. And Proverbs 4.23 warns us to watch over our heart with all diligence, for from it flows all of life. Beloved, your life won't be excellent unless you're in the Word of God. It won't be excellent. It won't be excellent unless the meditations of your heart are pleasing to God. You've got to do a lot of heart work to go out in the world and be an excellent alien. You're really called to be an excellent alien. I had a friend, uh, one, of the people, one of the young people couldn't come tonight. He said, man, what's the text? I want to think about the text. I want to meditate on the text. He said, what's the, principle? what's the principle point? The principle point is God has called us to live excellent alien lives. That's the title. Go live an excellent alien life. That's what God wants. That's what God says. Go live an excellent alien life. We understand that our change in regenerate hearts are the supernatural spiritual work of God, but we understand it's our responsibility to fill our hearts up with His truth. That is our job. He's given us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, the heart to know. It's our job to come as the Bereans and dive deeply into the Word of God. That's our job. It's what aliens do. It's how aliens live. Reading, studying, memorizing meditating, and yes, sitting under the preached Word of God. This is what aliens do. You know, you just won't hear the truth anywhere else. Not like here. 
Not like in a true church, a Bible-believing church, a God-fearing church. You're not going to hear the truth anywhere else, but in a church that loves this, in a church that exposits this, it's the only place you're going to hear truth. There are a lot of places that call themselves churches and they never even get close to this. They're not true churches in a biblical sense. They're not part of the church of Jesus Christ. If it's not about this, if it's not about the Word uh, written in the Word incarnate, you know, so many, so much of Christendom, they've added so much garbage. Or they've just dumbed it down to the point where it's meaningless. Beloved, that's not, that's not biblical Christianity. You guys know that. If you've been around very long, you know that's one of my hobby horses. So as we meditate on who Jesus is and what He's done in our behalf, we will be highly motivated and empowered to go out in the world and be an alien. We won't be afraid to be an alien. We'll just go be one. <laughs> go be one. That's the point tonight. Go be an alien. Out in the world. If we're thinking rightly about Jesus Christ, that is to say biblically, we will know without any shadow of doubt that it's all about Him. And we will know without a shadow of a doubt it's certainly not all about us. So our biblically saturated thoughts are about the excellencies of our God. Real Christianity is always an inside-out thing. It's a changed heart begetting excellent behavior. Pseudo-Christianity, false Christianity, is always an outside-in thing. It's outward, religion behaving, uh, outward religious behavior hiding a pretentious heart before God, it's what Jesus called the Pharisees. He said, man, you are whitewashed sepulchers. You are whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. I want to make a comment here. The Greek word translated excellent here in verse 12 is the word kalos. It's a kind of a complex word. It's hard to translate. In fact, you can't translate it with just one word. But I, I have several here. I looked, at a, I looked this word up. It means... Beautiful, lovely, this is your life. Beautiful, lovely, winsome, gracious, noble, honorable, and praiseworthy. That's what the Lord is calling us to. Again, it's simply the incarnation of chapter 2, verse 9. And what is Peter talking about here? The slander who slander you as evildoers. If you know your first century history, you understand that Christians were always being slandered for something. Always. Uh, it, was, it was rampant. They were accused of being insurrectionists, atheists, cannibals, engaging in orgies, wrecking homes, damaging trade, etc., etc., etc. They were always being accused. They were always the scapegoat at every turn. It's just how it was in the first century. So how do we combat those who persecute us or uh, spread slander about us? How do, how do we combat that? What does God's Word say? By your excellent alien behavior. That's how. By your excellent alien behavior. That's how you do it. God says, let your changed heart and your love for Me be conspicuous. God says, let the unbelievers observe your good deeds. And what? They will observe them. Let me just stop. What is God's purpose in your being an alien in the world? What happens 
when you live an excellent life in your home and at your work and in the university, in your neighborhood, in your relationships, in your social lives, what happens when we keep the most important issues in life in view? That being that God is profane and man are, are perishing. What does God tell us? What is the impact? What is our impact on these two problems? That God is profane and men are perishing? What is our impact? How do we impact that? Verse 12, by keeping your behavior excellent. That's how you impact it. You bring glory to God with your excellent behavior and the lost are drawn to God through your excellent behavior. This is what, this is what the Word of God says. In our excellent behavior, Jesus Christ is glorified and through our excellent behavior, men come to Christ. I was going to read verse 12 to you from the message. You guys know the message. It's Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Listen to what he says. Live an exemplary life among the natives. You get that? I like that. It's a play on, on the word alien. He says we're among the natives in the world, so live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they will be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when He arrives. That's actually what that means. I know that's a cryptic phrase at the end of verse 12. Uh, that they will glorify God in the day of His visitation. That simply means when God comes. That's all that means is when God comes. So do you see the intended significance of your life? It's nothing less than His glory and the salvation of His people. That's what your life is about. You know, you should never have a self-image problem. <laughs> I know we struggle with things, but our God is God. And our life, as we surrender it to Christ, it ripples eternity. You know, I've often told people, I can never stoop to be President of the United States. I could never, I could never step down that low by comparison to what I am now. I'm not, trying, I'm not dishonoring the office. I'm just saying my office is higher. That's all I'm saying. In the big scheme of things. And so is yours. If you're doing what Christ has called you to do, you could not stoop to be President of the United States. It's too low. If you're doing what Christ has called you to do, your life is impacting eternity, beloved. It's rippling Eternity. And it doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a mother or an engineer, a maid, a business person, or a student. If you're, uh, you are in a lofty vocation, glorifying Jesus Christ and being used of God to draw men to Himself, if you are in fact living out the fact that you're an alien. So, every day you get up, your life has breathtaking significance. Do you feel it? If you don't feel it, I know you don't naturally feel it. You have to remember who you are. You have to remember who your God is. You have to remember what your preeminent purpose is. The problem is we get so distracted with all the mundane things of this life. All the immediate. You know, you've heard the phrase that we allow the, the immediate to crowd out the eternal. Your excellent alien life brings glory to the One 
to the One to whom all glory is due, your life has tremendous significance. And your excellent alien life draws lost souls to their Savior. Because an excellent alien life effectively deals with the most pressing and urgent problems on this planet, namely that God is profane and that men are perishing. So, I just felt like as I was closing out the text and the sermon, I just um, I felt like the best way to, to, to end was to simply use the words of Jesus from the most famous sermon ever preached. You guys know uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And He talks about that excellent alien life that we're called to live. Let me just read the words of Jesus and we'll be, we'll be done. Matthew 5, 11-16. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. But you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And here's really the sermon right here. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is what Peter has said to us tonight. So the call is, abstain from fleshly lust and live an excellent life before the unbelievers, before the natives, as Eugene Peterson said. Live an excellent life. Go out there and live an excellent life. That God may be glorified and men may be saved. That's our job. It's as simple as that. That's our job. As born again Christians. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for the warning and we thank You for the call. We thank You for Your Word. Father, You, you know it's difficult to be an alien. You know that it's hard. But You have given us all that we need. You have given us everything we need. We simply need to appropriate it. We simply need to cultivate that mindset that we indeed are aliens in this place. We are passing through. We are pilgrims. We are exiles. We are refugees. We are passing through. Lord, I pray that we would cultivate that mentality. And that we would be used of You, Lord, to impact these urgent issues in this fallen world. That Your name is being profaned. And that men are perishing. 
Lord, we know that's why You've left us here. You've given us the commission. We know what our job is to make disciples of all nations. So Lord, use us, we pray. Use us in our orbit to sow good seed, to be an excellent alien out in the world. We pray for Your help in this, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.